0: mic check here. Can everybody hear me? All right, we'll go ahead and get started here this morning with a word of prayer. Father God, we thank you for this wonderful Easter Sunday that you've given us where we can celebrate the risen Christ. Thank you for this week and this time that we can remember what Christ did for us, Lord. We pray that you would help us understand this message today as we look at some of the things that John wrote about the day of his resurrection. As we go through this, Lord, we pray for open hearts and open minds that we would understand the message that you have for us. And we ask for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Today we do have an Easter lesson. And so um, what we're going to be talking about is when Mary Magdalene on... um, the third day went to the tomb to find Jesus' body. So we're gonna be in John chapter 20. Um, and it's, it's interesting to look at this because it, you know, as we go through and you read the gospels and you read the timeline, um, multiple times Jesus had talked to the disciples and those who followed him about what was going to happen but I know in my own life sometimes I've been told this is going to happen or you read about it or you know it or you put it on your calendar and it doesn't, doesn't really make sense or you don't really get it until it actually happens. And, and we're going to see that in what happens to Mary Magdalene as she goes to see Jesus in the tomb. And this is a pretty amazing week, Easter week, a, a week full of good news and bad news because it started with the triumphal entry And that last week of Jesus' life here on earth and the teaching he continued to do to his disciples and the good news of the gospel and the healing and the things that he did were great. But then there was bad news that went along with that. Um, How many of you, when somebody comes up to you and they say, well, I've got some good news and some bad news. What do you want to hear first? Good news? Good news? I mean, there have been studies done on this. Dean is in the minority. Most people, they say, four out of five people say, I want to know the bad news first. Let me know how bad it is, and then the good news. Because generally speaking, we as people, we want things to end on a good note, right? I mean, we've all watched movies where it's a really pretty good movie, and then the write it. It could be a good movie, right? And at the very end, it doesn't turn out the way that we want, and it's bad news, and it's horrible, and you walk away thinking, what a terrible movie when for... 158 of the, you know, an hour and 58 minutes, you thought it was a great movie. And the last two minutes, because of how it ended, you're like, ah, this is so bad. I'll never watch that movie. I'm not going to tell anybody to watch that. But that, that's human nature, right? And that's, we always want things to be easy and to go well for us and, and to have a smooth path. But that's not really what God has called us to. And that's not what, what Christ was all about either. He was obedient to God and all the work he did and the path he followed that God had laid out for him. He was obedient even to death on the cross. And so as we're going through that today, you know, hopefully that's going to be a good reminder for us. So we're going to start off, we're in John chapter 20. We're going to be in, uh, starting in verse 11. So John 20, read verses 11 to 13. But Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping, and so as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet, where the body of Jesus had been lying. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, because they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. So some, some pretty interesting things to think about here. So first of all, if, if you were to look back, and I think it's in the Gospel of Luke, um, where it talks about Jesus um, freed Mary from a demon that had possessed her. And so she has this strong connection with Jesus. She actually experienced that healing power. She'd been living in that awful circumstance of being demon-possessed, but Christ removed that demon from her. And so she has this strong connection. She has this strong love of Jesus that she experienced in her own life. And so that's part of why she's drawn to the tomb, right? And so even though she had heard the teachings and she knew because you know, Jesus had taught the disciples and told them, this is coming. You know, I'm going to die and I'm going to go away and then I'll come back and then I will be at the right hand of God. But as many times what happens to us as we're going through a trial, we don't remember that the outcome can be good, right? We, we think about... The bad things we think about how much we don't like suffering and having to go through the bumps and the unhappiness of what's happening in our life, even though you know I always think of things in a you know in an actual, in an intellectual way, I understand it's good for me, right but my fleshly body going through that trial i don't like it i't I don't want to have to deal with that I don't want to have to mess with those problems um, and this is part of what I think Mary Magdalene is going through is that She's so focused, right? She, she saw Christ crucified. She was there and watched him crucified on the cross. You know, when he died and when he said, it is finished. And he was dead and they took him down and um, he was put in the tomb. So she knew he was supposed to be there, right? And so she goes, what, what happens? So she, she's weeping, right? She's obviously in despair. She's very upset. And it's that third day though, right? So she's going to the tomb because she wants to anoint his body. She wants to do those ritual things that Jewish people do when they bury their dead. She wants to anoint his body and do those preparations for his burial. But when she goes there, when she looks in, what does she see? An empty tomb, but it it does say, it says, you know, she looks in and she saw two angels. How many times have you looked at something, and because you were looking for something else, you didn't see what you were looking at, or something escaped your eyes? She was very focused. She wanted to see Jesus. She was looking. She had this thing she wanted to do. And so even though it says in here that she saw two angels, what she saw were two guys sitting there. It doesn't really say much. In many of the encounters in the Bible when we read, when people encounter angels— What what does it say they feel? What's that emotion that people feel? Fear. They see them and they're afraid. That's not even entering her mind that she's looking at two angels. There's two guys sitting on the bench where she's expecting Jesus' body to be. And so I think that's that's part of that that focus thing where um, as I studied this lesson, I was trying to remember to put myself in the shoes of the disciples, right? Because... This is the very first Easter morning. All of us, every year that we've been alive, if you've been alive on Easter Sunday, you've heard the story, right? Especially if you are raised in the church from preschool, toddler room, your parents, you've heard the Easter story. You know how it ends, right? You've seen that movie before, and you know it ends in a good thing. Even though they had been told, they hadn't lived it yet. Right In some ways, by reading the Bible, we experience and we live everything that these people live because it's a story, and we get to read the whole thing. And if you have the patience, you just sit down and read the whole story, right? Well, these folks lived it. and So they had the triumphal entry, and they watched all these things, and they watched Christ's teaching. And they're hearing he's going to go away and that he has to die, but it's not connecting. Well, when he gets crucified, right, when, when the... He gets arrested. He's praying in Gethsemane and they come and they arrest him and they take him and he goes to Pilate and he's, he has the trial and he's convicted and is, you know, goes through the scourging. All those things that happened the Friday before, they're seeing this for the first time because we've read about it and we've heard about it a lot, right? Because this, this is important. We should hear about this a lot because this is what being saved is, is all about, is that belief in Christ, right? What what do we do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus, right? Believe in this story. Believe that he was fully God and fully man, that he went through Holy Week, that he was crucified on Friday, and that he was raised by God's power on Sunday. He was resurrected. He's the first fruit. So all of that's important for us to believe, but these folks are living it. They don't know how the story's going to end. They don't know what's happening, you know? And I don't know if I was there that I would have had the presence of mind and the wherewithal to remember to say, "Well, wait," you know. Jesus told us He was going to go away. They told us he, they would kill Him, but that He would come back. And so, um, that's one of those things I hope we get from this lesson: is that we expectantly await Christ to come back. That we know He's going to come back. May not come back in our lifetimes, but we need to live with that hope. So. It, in this despair, in the sadness and, and the spectacle of watching him crucified, they seem to have forgotten these things that Christ had taught them. And if you'll turn back with me to um, John, it's chapter 16. We're gonna, I'm going to read verses 5 through 8. You know, so this was during Holy Week. This is a couple days ago that Christ is teaching the disciples these things. So John 16, starting in verse five. But now I am going to him who sent me and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. So he's telling them that he's going to have to go, right? And Christ didn't always speak plainly, right? He spoke in parables sometimes. So he's not telling them, you know, maybe exactly what's happening, but he's telling them he's going to have to go. And then if we look at verses 16 to 20, he pretty much tells them again. He says, a little while and you will no longer see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. Some of his disciples then said to one another, What is this thing he is telling us? A little while, and you will not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. And because I go to the Father. So they were saying, What is this that he says, a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. Jesus knew that they wished to question him. And he said to them, Are you deliberating together about this that I said, A little while, and you will not see me? Truly, truly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will grieve, but your grief will be turned into joy. And there are many other examples if you go back through, um, even just in the book of John. In chapter 7, he tells them it's 7.32, um, 8.21, 13.33, and 14.18. Christ tells them he's going to go away. He's going to be killed. Um, but, you know, they're not, they're not getting that part of this. And it is hard. And something for us to think about is, I mean, the world, once sin entered it, is a place of death. Um, we talked about it a little bit this week. We took off with um, the Baines and the Petersons, and we were camping over in Canyonlands. And it's beautiful. If you like the desert, I mean, it's a great time here. It's not too hot, all the rocks, all those things. But it's basically, it's not what it should be. It's like a big scar, right? The whole earth is not as it should be because sin entered the world. So death is here, and and there's always sorrow associated with death. It is never easy to have a loved one, even a believer whom we intellectually understand they're a believer, they are saved, and when they are absent from the body, they are present with God, but we're still here, right? And there's that sorrow and there's that grief. And that's something that we have to deal with here. And God can help us with that. And fellow believers can help us with that. And so that's, you know, the the disciples are experiencing that part, right? they followed Christ. They know he's the son of God, and yet he got killed. But they're not remembering with Jesus that death doesn't have to be the end. Because there is the resurrection. And that's something that we need to keep in mind, that things are different with Jesus. Things are different with believers. There is sorrow with death, but there's also life after death. And that comes through belief in Jesus Christ and having him as your Savior, that you will be raised and you will be with the Father and you will spend eternity with him. So we're going to move on here. Um, I'm going to read verses 14 through 16. So we're back in John 20. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. So here in these couple of passages, we have that recognition of the risen Savior. Mary turns around, at first she sees him, because she's expecting Jesus to be what? Dead. She's looking for a body. And here's someone who is standing there talking to her. So she's not expecting the risen Savior. She's expecting a body that she's supposed to anoint, right? So she doesn't recognize him at first. And she asks him because that's what's first and foremost in her mind is, I've got to find the body of Jesus. And so she asks him. But Jesus starts talking to her and asking her why she's weeping. And then what happens when he calls her by name? Mary she recognizes him, she knows at that point who he is, that it is the risen savior, it's Jesus, but it's not his dead body, it's his resurrection body, right, and that's an amazing thing, and that's you know what hopefully everyone feels when they get saved, is they come to recognize Jesus the risen savior, and that's something that we need to hold on to when we're going through tough times and through troubled times, is that, you know, Jesus is there for us and he's real and he's risen and he's there interceding at the right hand of God on our behalf. And so the, the voice, you know, his voice and him speaking to her is a powerful thing. You know, if you have children, you know, and, and, and I know you have parents, that you know your parents' voices. Um, you probably you know, would recognize them in a crowd. And you would be able to hear and know and understand who that is. Just like your children, when you're out at the playground at the park or they're running around or something, when they hear you call to them, they know. Now I know some of them, sometimes, they hear and know, but they're not going to come back. But they hear you and they know. And that's just like us, right? Sometimes Jesus is right there yelling at us and we're like, now, one, one more round on the go, merry-go-round, or whatever we're doing, right? Because that's uh, that sinful nature that we always try to tamp down and be more godly. But, you know, face it, we're all human, and we, we don't always get there. But that's because, um, you know, the, the Bible uses, you know, Jesus as the good shepherd as an example of that. And so we're going to flip back to John chapter 10. read verses 1 through 5 in in John chapter 10. This is a, a good illustration of what we're talking about. So this is Jesus speaking. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. A stranger they simply will not follow, but will flee from him, because they do not know the voice of strangers. And so this is a, you know, a perfect example of Jesus the Good Shepherd, and Mary recognizes his voice, and now she knows and understands the teaching of Jesus, right, that what he said had come true. All of the prophecies in Scripture about the Son of Man being crucified and dying and being raised by the power of God, they've all come through. And so Jesus is going through that, and Mary's witnessing this firsthand. And it's interesting, you know, and when we think about this, and a lot of times we read the Bible, and these are happening to these people right then, right? Mary is right there with the risen Savior. Or well, are, are we right there with the risen Savior? Not probably in that way, but what do, what do you have? When you're a believer, how are you sealed for eternity? Holy Spirit, Right? And so we do have, I mean, there, there is the triune God, right? And so we carry the Holy Spirit with us. So he is walking with us. But there are some other ways, right? Because Jesus is standing there talking to Mary. How does Jesus talk to us during our times? How does Jesus talk to us? Through the Bible. His word. Um, and if, if we read his word... There are prophecies in the Old Testament and there are places in the New Testament where even, you know, Jesus tells us who he is and what's going to happen to him and what will be our, you know, fulfillment of joy as believers, you know, in the end times if you look at Revelation. And so he speaks to us through the scriptures. So it's important for us to read the scriptures. I think the other two ways he really speaks to us are through the two sacraments or the ordinances that we participate in church. The first one of those, um, and we'll do this later today, is communion, right? So think about that. If you think about communion, it's, you know, we, we have the bread and the wine, or the juice, right? That represents the first part of what had to happen for all of this to work out, and that is the, the crucifixion of Christ, right? The bread, his body, is broken for us, right? And that's to help us remember what he went through, that he paid for our sins through having his body broken. He willingly submitted in obedience to God to go through that. And so I think as that reminder, you know, and as we drink the cup, and that reminder of that cleansing blood, that the innocent blood of Christ pays for all of our sins. When God looks at us, he doesn't see the sins that we have committed. He doesn't see our fleshly body. He doesn't see where our mind wanders off to things it shouldn't. He sees us, if you will, through the lens of Christ. We We have Christ's righteousness. And so that's how God sees us. He won't hold us accountable for those sins because those have been paid in full by Christ. The second thing that we do is baptism. Baptism does not save you, right? Belief in Christ saves you. Admitting that you're a sinner, asking Christ to be Lord of your life, believing in your heart, confessing with your mouth, at that point you're saved. But we also as believers are, are called on to be baptized so that it's an outward symbol, right? There's no, we, we don't get a, a special token or a, you know, there's, there's no way to look at someone and, and tell if you're saved or not, right? It's not like you're going to the store and you pick up an avocado to see if it's ripe and you can kind of tell the one that wasn't that somebody already squeezed hard, right? I mean, God knows who's saved. We don't know who's saved. But if you take that bold public step of being willing to be baptized, that speaks a lot. That shows that you have commitment. That, you know, and and in our time, it is a good thing to do. It is good for people to see. And I think this is one other way that Christ speaks to us, right? Because when you're baptized, what, what's the symbolism that happens there? You're born again, right? That's the symbology of, a, of immersion baptism. is you're starting out as your,, um, you know, if you will, your old self, right? And the way we have done it here in our church is we have a baptismal font, we do full immersion baptisms, is, you know. The pastor, whoever is baptizing you, will ask you if Christ is your Savior. You know it's a little bit about your testimony, so people hear that you believe in Christ, that He's your Lord and Savior, and that you have accepted that. And then you're baptized in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and the name of the Holy Spirit. As you're dying, right, going under the water, symbolizes death of your old self, and then you are resurrected when you come up out of the water. The symbology there is that you are a new creation in Christ. You have been reborn. Christ was resurrected from the dead. He died for our sins, but he was resurrected. He was the first to be resurrected. We all, you know, as as things progress in God's timing, which, you know, sometimes we wish it would go a lot faster. Sometimes we maybe want it to slow down a little bit, but that will happen in God's timing. And so I think if we think through, you know, the scriptures tell us, but when we, when we take communion and we see someone be baptized, those, in my mind, are how, how Jesus still speaks to us in a very real way because we see those elements of what we celebrate every Easter, right? We see elements of the crucifixion, and we see elements of being reborn. And I think those are important things to keep in mind. So we're going to move on and, and read the end here to see what, God, what, what Jesus asks Mary to do. So I'm going to read, um, we're back in John 20, and I'm going to read verses 17 and 18. Jesus said to her, Stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father and my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came, announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. So just like all of us, once we recognize the risen Christ, once we're saved and we are his, that's not the end of the story, right? Jesus has work for us to do. He has work for us to do for ourselves to start being obedient to God, to start following what he wants us to do, and to share that good news, And that's what Christ is asking Mary to do is to say, go share the good news. Go let them know what I told them would happen has happened. And this is where things start to come full circle is, you know, Christ did come back, but he didn't come back and immediately leave again. He stayed and appeared to them a few more times so that they would know and understand what happened was real, right? And this is part of God's plan as well because he does ascend to sit at the right hand of the father. And so Mary does that. She goes back and um, tells the dis- disciples, but they have a hard time believing too, right? Because they all witnessed the crucifixion. And again, even though at some level they understand he will be resurrected, they didn't really know how that was gonna work. They weren't sure, right? And, and so they, they start to come to that understanding. Some of the, the things brought out in these two verses that, that I thought were really important is that you know, God tells them he's going to send to his father and your father, my God and your God. And I think that's really important as believers because you know, we, we say that we're brothers and sisters in Christ, and we are, but we also are brothers and sisters of Christ, right? fully god and fully man he was a human being he came to earth and lived set aside you know part of what he had in heaven so he could come down here and live as jesus on earth right still fully god fully man but his god is our god right his father is our father and that's important to remember because we, we share many of the same things that Jesus does, right? Jesus has been resurrected. We will be resurrected as believers, right? And it, it's important to remember, and we talked about it some last week, is that Christ does sit at the right hand of the Father, right? So we actually have our brother, Jesus Christ, sitting with our Father God, interceding on our behalf. And I think sometimes in some of this, that gets skipped over a little bit. Something else that the lesson brought out that doesn't get talked a lot lot about is Jesus' ascension, and what really does that mean, and why is that important? Um, So to start that off, I'm going to have you turn to Acts chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 9 to 11. So Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 9. And after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. They also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? this Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. And, and so that's a, you know, the, the account of Jesus' ascension. And there are some important things to think about that. Um, one of the very important things, and we read about it in John chapter 16, when we read those verses earlier, when Jesus left, when he ascended, who came to us? The Holy Spirit, right? And as, as much as it was important for the disciples to have Jesus, how much better is it that we have the Holy Spirit? What are the advantages of that? The Holy Spirit can be anywhere. And in fact, it is because believers are everywhere, right? And, and while Jesus was here on earth, he was human, right? Had some of those human limitations. Does the Holy Spirit have those limitations? No. The Holy Spirit is in the heart of every believer. The Holy Spirit can be everywhere, right? And so when Jesus taught the disciples, they had to be right there with him, right? They had to hear him speak, how, how does Jesus speak to us today one way? Through the Holy Spirit in our heart, right? You have God, you know, in the form of the Holy Spirit with you everywhere you go as a believer. You have that guidance with you right there. You have that conscious, right? When you're getting ready to do something, you know that you shouldn't, and you start getting that guilty feeling. That's not your brain doing something. That's the Holy Spirit in your heart speaking to you, letting you know what you're about to do or say is not obedient to what God's asking you to do. Or maybe as you're watching something happen and you're trying to decide, should I go help? Should I go tell that person? Should I do this thing? That prompting you get to go over there and do that, that's the Holy Spirit giving you that little nudge saying, hey, you should go do that. That would be a good thing. God wants you to go do that. So that's something that, that was really important for Christ to ascend for, was because the Holy Spirit came to us as believers. The other thing is that there was the expectation that we would worship Jesus, right? And we do worship Jesus. He sits at the right hand of the Father. He's part of the triune God. That was one of the reasons he ascended. Was, it did fulfill prophecy, but he sits there, and we worship him for who he is. And I talked about it a little bit, but he does sit at the right hand of the Father, and he does intercede for us. And we talked about that in a few lessons ago, that Jesus is the perfect high priest, right? Because he is there at the right hand of the Father, and he's speaking on our behalf. And and the other thing is, you know, it's interesting in the the account we read in Acts, is that kind of along the same lines where Mary and the disciples knew Christ would die, would leave them, but he would be resurrected. They got wrapped up in that sorrow and that disbelief, and they weren't necessarily looking for the resurrected Christ, right? And so I think one of the takeaways from today is that we know Jesus was here and you know, he lived on the earth and he taught and he did miracles and works and he died on the cross to pay for our sins and he was resurrected and he ascended to sit at the right hand of the Father. But what did those two angels tell the men of Galilee as they're watching, right? Because we don't know. Maybe they thought he was going to go up and he'll be right back, right? They didn't really know. Um, so they're expecting him to come back. But are we expecting Jesus to come back, he's gonna come back, but do we live our lives every day in that expectant fashion of, I know he's going to come back. And nobody knows, not even Jesus knows, right? The Father knows, but not even the Son knows when he's coming back. But I think we as believers need to work hard at living in a way that we're expectant for that, that we know what to look for, right? If you look in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, it tells us what it's going to look like when Jesus comes back. It's still hard to imagine, right? I mean, there's going to be the sound of the trumpet and the archangel Michael, and then he's going to appear, but how does he come back, you know? Is he going to show up here? Is he going to show up in, I don't know, Europe, Africa? Where does, you know, how does all that come back? Because We know he's coming back, but how does he come back? And all those different things that happen, but it's just having that expectation. And I think if we keep that in our minds and we think about that, as we have to go through the trials that we go through every day, that gives us some of that joy, right? That's part of the joy that we're supposed to have as believers is that we know how the story ends. We don't know all the little pieces that go in between. And you know, people talk about our lives, it's not a, it's not a flat, easy road. It's, it's mountains and valleys. And sometimes you're doing really well and you're on top of the mountain and things look great and sometimes you're deep in that dark valley or you're in the tunnel or you're experiencing all those things in life that aren't very much fun for us to do is to remember who, who we serve and who, who our God is and who Jesus is and what he did for us and what he over, overcame on our behalf. And I think that will help us to live our lives in a way that does honor and glorify God. So as we as we wrap up here today, did anybody have questions or comments? Keith has a question. No, that's a good point. Because it goes almost from that formal way of addressing one another, right, to someone who you have knowledge with. And it is important. And that, you know, is it the better your relationship is with God, you know, the more you put him first in your life and push you know, your old self back, and the more we concentrate on being obedient to God, we grow in that relationship. The better our prayer life is, the more involved we are with doing things that are obedient to God, we grow in that personal relationship. And we have that, and I think we feel that. And that's a good illustration that Keith brought out about where he goes from calling her woman to calling her Mary. There's that recognition. And it's part of that recognition that hopefully we strive for as mature believers, as we are Christians and move through our lives, we develop that relationship stronger and stronger um, so that we can really know when he's speaking to us and we can follow the Holy Spirit. Because that's part of that. You know, we do have the Holy Spirit with us as believers. But if, if you only cry out to God when things have gone horribly wrong and that's the last result, you know, it's, it's often hard to hear and understand what he wants you to do. But if you are in that right relationship with him and you work on that and you develop that personal relationship and, you know, you've prayed about it before you had to go do the difficult things, I think things go a lot better. But that's something that comes with maturity and everybody kind of moves through that as we go through life. Sometimes it's it's easier, sometimes it's harder. We get pulled in lots of different ways, but we need to remember that we have to have God first in our life and 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 that as our priority. Anybody else have a comment? All right. Well, thanks for coming on this Easter Sunday. We're going to wrap up just a little bit early, but I will close us in prayer.